this week, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about uh, the peacemakers again. So if you were here last week, you know that mom spoke on um, blessed are the peacemakers. I wasn't originally planning on speaking on that too, but it was so good. And I just kept getting like, oh, what about, I, what about this? What about that? What about this? And so I was like, you know what? Let's do our first official Supper Club sermon series. So this is part two of Blessed Are the Peacemakers. So yeah, we don't have the graphic up today, but that's all right. Um, so just a quick little recap on what uh, I talked about last week. Um, we really talked about the difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers, you know, um, how the verse, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called sons of God. We kind of delved into what it meant to be a son of God and how there's authority in that um, as, as the um, firstborn son usually has all, all kinds of uh, rights and authority that they get just because they're, the, they're a son. Um, so that when we're peacemakers, we get that same authority. Uh, we also talked about how sometimes peacemaking, unlike peacekeeping, there can be conflict involved, and that's okay as long as it's godly conflict. Um, we also talked about, like, especially with relationships, um, we, there's, uh, there's uh, really good healthy boundaries to have, you know, that involves that. So if, if you're in conflict with someone, maybe it means you have to set up boundaries within a relationship, you know, to be able to make that peace rather than being... Um, so focused on harmony and trying to make things right that you end up compromising principles and ideals and um, important things that we shouldn't compromise on. And then we also talked about how peacemakers don't, um, shouldn't try to rescue people, that sometimes conflict is there because God has a greater purpose. Mom talked about with uh, the author Paul Young and the book The Shack, how he had to go through, uh, I think it was bankruptcy and the loss of his house to get him to a place where he could write the shack and affect millions of people's lives through that. Um, so today, I wanted to uh, delve a little bit deeper into um, the actual who a peacemaker is. Now, if you know me, I really like kind of the loftier sort of thinking, you know, um, bringing like those really high ideas and bring them down to a level where we can all understand. So I'm going to kind of, mom talked a lot about relationships, you know, like how to be a peacemaker between people. And um, I kind of want to step back and just kind of do like a general, what does it mean to be a peacemaker in the wholeness of Christianity uh, on the planet as just a person, right? And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, and I think it really starts with looking at what um, the, a couple key differences between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to do like a little wordplay and look at, you know, so a peacekeeper is a person who keeps the peace, right? And a peacemaker is someone who makes peace, just, just the way the word works, right? And if you look at it that way, you can already see a difference that um, a peacekeeper is someone who has to keep the peace, meaning there's already some kind of peace there that they're trying to maintain. There's a status quo, so to speak, that a peacekeeper tries to um, adhere to and, uh, or whatever. And so a peacemaker, on the other hand, the peace might not be there, and they have to actually come in and make peace. There's a, there's a, a, a verbiage difference when it comes to making and keeping. And I think that that difference between keeping and making um, is really key, as well as the fact that there is a peace that was there before and a peace that needs to come and reign now. And so those are the two things I kind of want to focus on tonight. Um, 
first off, uh, the peace that a peacemaker deal with, deals with is different than the peace that a peacekeeper deals with. A peacekeeper looks, to, looks at, at uh, man-made peace or some kind of compromise or a harmony, so to speak, like mom talked about last week. Um, and that sometimes means giving up certain rights. Sometimes it means letting people take advantage of you just for the sake of, of uh, non-conflict. And that is not the peace of God, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, the peace of God is much different. Um, I look at, um, uh, if we look at Jesus, I believe he was the very first and greatest peacemaker, which is funny because blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called sons of God and Jesus is the son of God. So there's some kind of connection there. So if we look at Jesus, um, uh, we're going to look at two verses if you want to follow along. Two verses that I think, when I first read them, I was like, how is this supposed to help me? Um, because they're, they're almost kind of saying the exact opposite thing. But the first one is Matthew 10, chapter, or yeah, Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36. I'll go ahead and read this for you. Um, Do not think that I, have, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's household. That's our first verse. We're going to compare that to John chapter 14, verses 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. So, in one verse, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. In another verse, he goes, I'm going to leave you with my peace. And you're like, wait, what's going on here? I don't know. This, like when I read this, I was like, wait, this doesn't help me. It took me like a little while to figure out how, um, like what God was trying to say to me in this. And then I realized that in Matthew 10, when he says, I did not come to bring peace to the earth, I thought about how um, Matthew was written for the Jews um, to the Jews. Uh, so that to pretty much prove to them that Jesus was the one that the Old Testament said would come and, you know, pretty much save the world, right? And the Jews had this idea of, of Jesus as this, like, political figure who would come in, rescue the Jewish people from the oppression of the Romans, defeat the Romans, and then reset um, Israel to pretty much the top of the global hierarchy, so to speak. Because throughout the whole Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people, right? And so God fought for Israel. And so they still had this kind of idea of where um, they were in captivity for, you know, hundreds of years. They get out, they become oppressed by the Romans, and they're sitting there waiting for their Savior to come, right? And then Jesus comes and is like, yo, I'm not bringing that peace you're thinking of. I'm not here to set you above anybody else. I'm here to make a different kind of peace. And so Jesus is not bringing any kind of man-made peace that the Jews were thinking he would bring. Instead, he came with a sword to make peace through the cross because it's a different kind of peace. It's something that, something that the world can't give. In John chapter 14, I do not give to you as the world gives. The world gives this fake, corrupted idea of what peace looks like for the sake of not having to deal with real issues. And that's not, that's not what Jesus is about. Um, and that's what that's not what uh, being a peacemaker is about. Um, one thing that's really fascinating if, uh, is that the Bible is pretty much a history of warfare. 
in battle. If you look back from pretty much the beginning, it's been nothing but fighting. I mean, if look, look at all the historical books. Most of them is just like where a battle happened, where this battle happened, what, how God won this battle, how God won this battle, how God sent these people to defeat Israel because they were being knuckleheads, how God brought these people to, bring, to you know, teach Israel a lesson. And um, pretty much other than the very, very beginning before the fall, that's what I believe the true peace of God looked like, where we were in perfect relationship with God in perfect relationship with each other, Adam and Eve. Um, and then the fall happens, and then that peace disappears. And it's been nothing but a struggle and a fight to bring that peace back. And that's what God's been, God teaches out through pretty much the whole Old Testament. I mean, you have Moses. He has to come in and pretty much fight with Pharaoh to bring uh, the Hebrews out of captivity. And it has to go through the 10 plagues to the point where basically Pharaoh is in a uh, is in a corner and has no choice but to just let the Hebrews go because he just lost his firstborn son. The, um, and so they had to fight to bring the Hebrews out of captivity into peace. Then you have um, Joshua leaving, uh, leading the Israelites into the promised land. When they get to the promised land, it's not just all, it was supposed to be, in their minds, it was all, you know, the land flowing with milk and honey, Right. But they get there, and there's milk and honey, and there's also giants and Canaanites and just all these heathens that have, are living there. And so God's like, you go take your land back now. You know, it's the promised land. It's the uh, land of peace I've promised you, but you have to go get it back first. And so uh, you have David fighting Goliath. You have um, all, pretty much every king in First and Second Kings is just whether or not they were a good king or a bad king, depending on how whether they loved Jesus and how they uh, or loved God and how they pretty much protected the kingdom, you know? And so it goes all the way, funny enough, to today. I, I believe that we're still in, we're still having to fight for God's peace. However, it looks a little differently today because of Jesus. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, if you're taking notes, um, I'm going to read, what am I reading Chapter 6, 10 through 18. So just give me a second. This, this one's going to be a little long, but bear with me. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is key right here. For our struggle is not against the enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Peace. With all these things, take the shield of faith, which will, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in spirit and at all times in every prayer and supplication. Uh, to that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. So, I mean, he's given us the armor, he's given us the weapons because we're still going to have to fight. But now, because of Jesus, we no longer have to fight against other people. When Jesus came and died, he fought, um, or he died so that we can all be 
you know, the chosen people. We're new Israel, so to speak. We're all here together. So no longer is it fighting against, you know, that guy or that guy physically. It's now going to those deeper root issues that I was talking about earlier. earlier. Those things that, that the world kind of wants to sweep under the rug and sort of ignore a little bit. Um, because the difference between fighting in the Old Testament and even today now is, thankfully, we've already won. However, there's a lot of people who are still fighting not knowing that, they're, that they can walk in victory. And so that's what our peacemaking looks like today. Our spiritual warfare is bringing people to a place of victory that they already have through Christ. Um, but one interesting thing, little little Bible study here that I want to look at, is within the armor, looking through all those, the different pieces of armor, there's two pieces of that armor that I want to focus on because they separate themselves from the rest. So you have the helmet, you have the breastplate, you have the shield, you have all that stuff. That's all stuff that can help protect us, right? It's there um, for our own help. The two things that I want to look at, though, are the shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. So the boots of peace and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those two things differ from the other two because they actually allow us to go and defeat whatever spiritual enemy that we're called to defeat, whatever area we're supposed to make peace in. I mean, you can have a breastplate and just stand there and just take the hits, but how are you actually going to go and fight? You need the Spirit. How are you supposed to get there? You've got to put on those shoes that will allow you to be in that situation, right? Um, and I really like the shoes uh, analogy because all of the rest of these, they're like, this is what it is. It's the helmet of salvation. It's nothing else. It's just the breastplate of righteousness. It's just the belt of truth. The shoes, we can choose what we want as long as it allows us to go and proclaim the gospel of peace. Um, I look at that as um, that unity of, of the body of Christ in that we all have our own strengths and weaknesses. If you know, my very first uh, sermon was the Imago Day and how we all have, we're all made in the image of God in our own special way. We all have our own special shoes, so to speak, of how we can go and proclaim that gospel of peace, how we get to situations. It might look different for Chris. It might look different for Bob. It might look different for me. And that's great. And then you have the sword of the Spirit, and it's the same no matter what. It's the Word of God. It, wherever you go, the Word of God is how we're going to um, fight back the enemy, the, uh, those, those forces of evil, the, the authority, the principalities that somehow have, still have their death grip even though they lost 2,000 years ago, right? Um, there's also one other aspect of being a peacemaker besides having those, uh, the armor of God and being ready to fight. It's also that verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication to keep that end, to that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Um, prayer is probably the most important aspect of spiritual warfare, as being a peacemaker. Jesus oftentimes would go by himself to go pray. He would leave his ministry. He would leave his disciples and be like, I need some time to myself. I need some time to be with God and just pray. Um, we see, uh, I remember there was a, a time um, when I was in YWAM, we had this really crazy, I shouldn't say crazy, she was, she was uh, heavily filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I don't know how to, how to say it. Um, but she came and visited uh, one, one week while we were doing lectures. 
And she was a guest worship leader. She was from Japan. I went to Japan for my YWAM. Um, went to Vancouver for her DTS, her YWAM, and came back a completely different person. Um, she actually owns, my mom loves this because she always, she, this is one of her dreams to open, but she actually has a coffee shop in Tokyo where you go in and get uh, a cof- uh, some coffee and you also get a word with it. They, you pay for coffee, also get a word. And so you have people lining up um, in another coffee shop across the street just to get inside this one because they want to get prayed for. They want to get that, that prophetic word from God. And it's this incredible ministry. Um, and she came and helped do worship at my YWAM. And if you know YWAM, it can be a little overwhelming sometimes for people. Uh, like, you know, I'm very charismatic, so, you know, I believe in tongues, I believe in, you know, uh, prophetic words, and you know, I'm totally fine with the people dancing with the ribbons and all that stuff in the back, you know, however, however it works, it's totally fine, you know? However, um, worshiping in tongues, it, that one kind of gets me sometimes, um, and it was just like, all right, playing the piano, let, let's just, just worship however your heart feels led, and, you know, blah, 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 you just... I'm like, what is going on right now? Because everyone was like pretty much screaming at the top of their lungs, speaking in tongues, but in a rhythm, I guess. I don't know. It was, it was a little off-putting for me because I'm like, well, I don't know. That, that's a little too far for me. And I'm like, you know, I don't really care. I'm pretty out there myself sometimes. But she spoke on uh, prayer once and said something that was really impactful that I will never forget. She said that um, prayer is basically our artillery. Uh, if you're looking at it from a warfare perspective, which I find funny since it's mostly guys here. Um, so, you know, war, battle, whatever. But prayer is, prayer is like our artillery. Um, you know, uh, the, the like shock and awe. I remember when, uh, I think it was Operation Iraqi Freedom first started, they started with that shock and awe when they were um, invading Iraq, right? And before all of the, the, the soldiers would come in, they would just sit there and bombard the, the enemy for days on end. And I remember seeing on the television just that it was just black, and then all of a sudden, you know, explosion, lights, explosion, and then buildings just, like, disappearing. I was like, that's scary, but also really incredible. And the reason that you send your artillery in first is so that you can make it easier for your soldiers, right? And so, you know, some people might feel like, well... Maybe I'm not called to the front lines of peacemaking, of, of uh, spiritual warfare. That's okay. You can pray. I mean, that's why when, uh, when you're a missionary, not only is it just kind of polite to say, hey, if you feel led to um, you know, support me financially and you, or you can't, please support me in prayer. Like it's half polite, half like just as effective as um, the needs for finances when you're out in the mission field. Because when you have people praying for you on the other side of the world, they're opening up gates that you might not have been able to walk through. They're breaking down strongholds without you even having to uh, set foot there. Um, And uh, there's actually a really cool story in Isaiah chapter 37, the story of King Hezekiah. Basically, the gist is, the the gist is, um, he he was the king in Jerusalem, and then the, they were surrounded by the, the Assyrian kingdom. The king of Assyria came in and took every single city in Judah, basically. And so Jerusalem was literally in the middle, surrounded by the enemy. 
and they came and started taunting him. They sent these letters how we're going to destroy your crops and destroy your animals and kill all your children, all this stuff, and King Hezekiah was freaking out. Thankfully, King Hezekiah was also a uh, man of the Lord, um, and so he actually got down on his knees and started praying to God, saying, hey, I need you. I need your help here. Um, actually, I'm going to read some of it here, starting in chapter 15. Or verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Sennacherib, as the guy who was taunting him, um, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have hurled their gods into fire though they were no gods, but the work of human hands, wood and stone, and so they were destroyed. So now, Lord, O oh, oh Lord our God, save us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Um, we're going to go ahead and skip. It goes on to this like, kind of like psalm-looking hymn where he's talking about, you know, uh, it's pretty much, he said that without going to Isaiah first. Normally, the king goes to the prophet and then it's like, yo, help me pray. But he's like, I can't, I don't even have time. And so when he did that, Isaiah actually got a word from the Lord at the same moment saying, hey, the God's going to come and rescue. And, you know, it's super poetic, so I'm going to skip it for time's sake. Um, but this is really cool, starting in chapter, or verse 33. Therefore, says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, um, he shall not shoot an arrow there, come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant. Um, oh, you know what? I skipped one thing. I'm sorry. Before he gets all poetic with Isaiah, it actually says, uh, Then Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning the kings of Assyria, goes into the word, and then it goes on to say, Then the angel of the Lord set out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When morning dawned, they were all dead bodies. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria left, went home, and lived in Nineveh. As he was worshiping in the house of God of Nisroch, his sons, Adremelech and Sherezer, killed him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. His son, Esar Hadan, succeeded him. So pretty much this happened all because King Hezekiah prayed the fact that they were able to defeat, not only did um, God defeat the, the armies, 185,000 people, but he also brought down the foreign king and, had, and he was killed by his own kids because he was worshiping someone else. He was worshiping other gods. And so there's definitely a power to prayer and is probably our most powerful weapon when it comes to um, spiritual warfare, which is peacemaking. I mean, we're coming in, to areas of darkness and bringing the peace of God through godly conflict. Um, one of my favorite movies, uh, Bob, I know you've seen it, but the movie Inc., do you remember that movie? Um, anyone have ever heard of it besides me and Bob? Um, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a small independent film, but it has probably one of the greatest or one of my favorite interpretations of what spiritual warfare looks like. Um, to give you the basic gist of the movie, uh, it's a movie about a father, uh, father and um, his daughter. He's estranged. He's um, on drugs and uh, is a workaholic, so he actually doesn't even get to live with his daughter. His, her, 
his daughter lives with her grandparents. Um, and throughout the movie, you find out that um, the daughter has this like person who follows her around. They're called storytellers. But basically, it's angels and demons. And she has her own guardian angel, right? And th- throughout the movie, there's this like behind the scenes fight of um, the angels fighting the enemy, basically. But they're in a different dimension, sort of. Because um, she gets kidnapped and gets put in a coma, and that's what brings the father out of his craziness. And one of the last scenes of the movie, it's so cool. Um, he finally manages to get to the hospital where his daughter, who's in a coma, because in the spiritual realm, she was kidnapped. It's really crazy, but it's really awesome at the same time. Um, he sits there, and the only thing that he can do for his daughter is just sit there and pray. And so he just gets on his hands, and he hasn't done this since he used to be married before his his wife died or whatever. I'm not exactly sure. But he's sitting there praying. And you see in the real world, he's just sitting there praying. And in the angel and demon world, you see this lady, this angel, holding back an entire horde of demons who are just trying to claw at him the whole time. And that's, that's, it's such a cool interpretation of what spiritual warfare is. When we're praying, we are, we're allowing we're, we're keeping back the enemy from affecting the world. I mean, they're real. You can't just deny that the enemy is, li- that we're just living in a crappy place. You know, it's just, it's all human-led. It's not. I mean, Paul said it himself. Where it's the powers, principalities, authorities, cosmic powers, the, uh, you know, the evil. There's an actual evil here that I think a lot of us don't see. And it's kind of funny you were talking about with your prayer request about, you know, paying attention to what's going on in the world, but at the same time not forgetting our neighbors, right? I, I feel like we really need a lot of peacemakers, especially now. I mean, um, like for example, so with the whole Charlottesville crisis, right? I feel like that's not peacemaking whatsoever. Um, going around and protesting for whatever reason, that doesn't work. That's just trying to yell louder than your neighbor. And the only way, and so I find it funny that that our peacekeepers here on earth are the police, basically. They're just there. When the whole protesting started, they had all these fences up and stuff, and the police were just there just to protect them. Not, Not actually, you know, say like whether or not they're doing anything right or wrong, or coming against saying like, well, you know, maybe white supremacy is not a good thing, you know. Nazis were bad people and you shouldn't be them. No one was saying that while they were protesting until the violent people came in and decided to try and bring in the peace of the world and not the peace of God. We need peacemakers in strategic places, whether it's in a church, in our family, in the government. Um, it, I, everything I see on television when it comes to like what's going on, what's going wrong with the world, that's peacekeeping with whatever they're trying to do right is peacekeeping, not peacemaking. Peacemaking, it's much, more, it's much harder because there's much more conflict. I mean, it's, it's messy, it's um, ugly, but it's necessary. I mean, um, I don't know, but I, w- I want to end with this one thing because I feel that's really heavy and I want to bring it back um, a little bit here. I'm going to go back to Ephesians, um, and I want to read you something here from Ephesians that I think we can apply to today, because this is really heavy stuff. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. This is, it's kind of, it's real deep, it's real heavy, and yeah, I know, but so I want to, I want to end with this. 
Because like I said, this is all like gung-ho kind of, you know, let's get out there, let's get on the front lines and fight. But we don't fight against people anymore, so we have to fight differently. We have to fight in a different way. Um, so I want to read you this. I find it appropriate because this is what Paul was talking about to the church in Ephesus before he told them about the armor of God. He was saying, I want you to act like this. In Ephesians chapter, five, or chapter 4, verse 25, he says, So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. For we are members of one another. We're together. We're all one family now, whether we like it or not. Be angry, but do not sin. I really like that. It's okay to be angry. There's, there can be a righteous wrath. I mean, God displays his wrath all the time, but it's always, it's never in a sinful way. Um, so we can be angry, but we can't let it dictate how we act. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Not only what is useful for, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away, from all, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Bring us all back to that very first peacekeeper, or peacemaker, excuse me, Jesus. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ. What did he do? He went, around, he went around and he healed people. He brought life to people. He died for people. He brought, he made the peace of God in, in the land of Israel through his own sacrifice. Now we're called to do that too because we're called to be sons of God. We're called to be peacemakers. Um, so, yeah, we, we fight in a different way. We fight by loving people. We fight, we still tell them the truth. We can still be angry when we see evil, but we have to act in a way that is Christ-like. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll end on a, on a funny note. Um, I was watching, I was watching a, a, a comedy special on Netflix, Dave Chappelle. He has a comedy special that was just, just came up recently. And he was talking about, he was doing a joke about how when he was a kid, he used to watch Care Bears. <laughs> And how with the Care Bears, there, there was just these little teddy bears. Each one was a different color, had a different, like, picture on their stomach, and they just loved people. And he would talk about how whenever they met some kind of trouble, they would never fight. But instead, all the Care Bears would get uh, together in a line, lock arms, and do the Care Bear stare, which was basically stare at a person and love them until love physically manifested out of their stomach and beamed onto whoever they were trying to love. And I was just like, that's ridiculous. That's also kind of relatable. I mean, that's kind of what we have to do is we have to love people so much that there's a physical manifestation through the Spirit, you know? Um, and that's how we fight, right? Yeah, the Care Bears, man. You can pull, you can pull, you can, spiritual stuff out of just about anything if you try hard enough. I mean, I was going to talk about Star Wars earlier, but I saved you all that. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's, um, that's pretty much it.
be a peacemaker, be like Christ, um, don't be afraid of conflict, just approach conflict God-like, I guess, so yeah, thank you very much.